0: This is George G and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, Strong and Powerful Megan McCoy. Dr. Megan, are you ready to do this?
1: Yes, thanks for having
0: me. Excited to have you back I'll on the show. i my
1: jacket off so I can get ready to be high energy.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Dr. Megan is an LMFT, an ACL. Uh, AFCCFT dash I. You're going to have to tell me what that one is, Megan. She's an associate professor, a researcher, a writer, a speaker, a certified financial therapist. Megan, tell us a little about your personal lives, more about your work, why you do what you do.
1: Yes, the CMT is actually the Certified Financial Therapist designation by the Financial Therapy Association. But I do sometimes feel like I just have alphabet soup back for my name. Uh, All in the quest to just learn more and connect with others and be better. (laughs) But personal life is great. I know you're not supposed to have favorite ages with your kids, but my kids are six and nine. And I swear they still have the cute cuddliness of a little kid, but I, I don't have to get as many snacks as I used to. So a lot less physically drained.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, mine are six and three, and there's still a lot of snack getting. So
1: <laughs> I still find granola bars randomly hidden in bags and cars and all kinds of places.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate that. that. That that is absolutely my reality. So we talked a couple of years ago, and it was our first conversation on the show about financial therapy. So refresh our memory on 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 the discipline and 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 what y'all are doing.
1: Yeah, so financial therapy was developed out of the Great Recession when everybody was incredibly stressed. And all these financial planners went to their mental health colleagues and were like, I don't know how to handle all the stress and anxiety of my clients. And the mental health professionals were like, oh my gosh, my clients are talking about money and I hate talking about money. So they got together and they're like, how can we learn from each other? How can we steal the evidence-based research you have and apply it to our work? And how can we collaborate together to really deal with our clients' problems holistically? Um, And since then, so much has changed. I think the CFP board has really made a marked effort to understand the psychology of financial planning, the psychology of our clients. Um, So I've been very lucky that uh, I found a spot that I can do two of my favorite loves in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I certainly appreciate that. So you are, well, are you constantly writing, learning, studying, researching?
1: Yeah, I know I joked with you already, but hopefully your listeners think it's funny that my favorite writing music is a song from the uh, Hamilton play where it's like, why do you write all the time? But writing is my favorite. Like I just sit on my couch with my laptop, just going to town on all the cool stuff because there's so much to research. There's so much to write about in this area. And it actually previews what I'm hoping we'll talk about today is that I was lucky enough to be involved in a grant where we collected data, data on both clients and planners' experiences around a host of information. It was the first grant by the Financial Planning Association with support by Alliance. And what's cool about it is that we have a couple of papers from it, but now we're opening up to any researcher or anybody who wants to dive more into client and planner relationships and um, how to be best at financial planning
0: client and planner relationships let's just jump into it yay okay
1: <laughs> so i'm so proud of the paper i wrote with amazing colleagues um that came out in december in the journal of financial planning um let me get the title correct it was called um what was it called I should know the title of my own paper, but it's nice and long because uh, researchers like long titles. It's called Science of Building Trust and Commitment in Financial Planning Using Structural Equation Modeling to Examine Antecedents to Trust and Commitment, which is a mouthful, but it really does summarize what we did. We looked at what are the factors that increase trust and commitment in client and planner relationships. Um, What it boils down to is we using a theory, we found that communication ability, opportunistic behavior, Shared values, termination costs, and relationship benefits really are the precursors to trust and commitment. And it was cool because in research, you know, there's so many, I don't know, uh, aspects of everything. Like if I were to say why the sky is blue, there would be four foundational reasons why the sky is blue. If I ask you why you're blue, there is a hundred reasons why you might be experiencing blueness. <laughs> So what we found in our first study is we were able to explain about 71 percent of the antecedents to trust and commitment in relationship which is amazing for explorations of human behaviors but it wasn't good enough and so recently we like dived in further and, and my background in marriage and family therapy made me especially interested in how anxiety shapes the relationship So we added anxiety in, and we were able to explain then in a paper that's forthcoming 77% of why trust and commitment is. So there's still more that we have to discover as a vehicle, but right now I'm really, really excited about how much anxiety impacts trust and commitment and providing practitioners tools to improve that.
0: Nice. All right. So... I think you mentioned four things on the first paper. It was communication skills, shared values. What were the other two?
1: Opportunist cost, opportunistic behavior. Sorry, like that your planner thinks you have their best interests in mind, more than fiduciary, but you as a human care about them as a human. Then termination costs. We are aware that robo-advising has made our job more foundationally, relationship building and managing emotions around behaviors rather than the, the actual uh, – investment purchase or whatever. And so we have to make sure that the value we're bringing to the table is higher than they can get for free by going to some brokerage. And then relationship benefits, uh, building upon those two, really understanding how um, they get something out of being spending time with you, that they enjoy their time with you.
0: Well, that certainly makes sense so these are the factors that initially you were able to determine account for 70 percent of successful relationships what is what is that 70 percent
1: yep so we say um if we look at the best people at these five things what is the trust and commitment they see in their clients and so we expect it to be 100 percent, right if it's all the factors that lead to trust and commitment but we're missing stuff we're missing some other magical ingredients that will make your clients trust you more. And that's where anxiety came in first. That way we counted 5% more, which doesn't sound like a lot. But again, in social science, when you're talking about humans, that is tremendous.
0: So when we say anxiety, what does that mean in the context of of this?
1: Yay. So first off, uh, I want to give a shout out to Christy Archuleta, who I think you've had on your show before, but Christy created the financial anxiety scale, which is seven items. But in reality, what it means is everybody experiences stress from now time and time again. Stress oftentimes makes us propel into good action. Stress is sometimes healthy for us. And when we call it healthy stress, we usually refer to it as stress, which is EU stress which is great, right? But when stress becomes unwarranted and and becomes um, elongated, like no longer is there a clear reason for the stress, no longer is it time captured, it becomes anxiety, this lingering fear of like, I'm not okay. And there's been some wonderful foundational work done by especially John Grable and Sonia Luter around financial anxiety. And of course, Christy Archuleta as well, where they found that anxiety acts interesting too. Just like stress, anxiety might have the spell curve where too much anxiety makes us not be able to function. It makes us want to feel like an ostrich in the sand, but too little anxiety makes us like, ah, I'll put that off for another day. Who cares about that? (laughs) Don't worry about that. And so it's
0: this balancing act that financial planners have to examine with their clients. That makes a lot of sense. So the, the 5% bump that when you looked at anxiety in the relationships between planners and clients, is that saying that in those examples, the planner was able to find that just right anxiety?
1: Nope. In the first study we did, we just looked at high anxiety and we found that the higher the client's anxiety is, the lower the trust and commitment goes down. But I already knew that bell curve idea from prior work, especially again, John Grable's work. But so I was interested. So we're doing a follow-up paper and that's where we're examining that bell curve phenomenon. And I'm so excited to get that out to everyone.
0: Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to see. Um, I I, I think that that eustress, e- eustress is such a valuable thing all too often. Like when we think about stress and anxiety, we do think, oh, that's definitely something that I don't want. I want to avoid it. When in fact, that healthy stress of improvement and pushing ourselves just slightly beyond our comfort zone, that's how we actually make progress.
1: Ah, oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: but we don't want to live there because we don't
1: want to live there
0: anxious and we're stressed
1: and it, it hurts us. Like we know that those individuals, not even financial anxiety, people with anxiety are not able to deal with their finances. They are not able to call the credit card company or, call and make a a better example for planners is they're not able to make the right investment decisions because they're acting out of fear or scarcity mindset rather than using their frontal lobe and their intellectual part of their brain
0: so when I'm anxious and I'm suffering from anxiety, it can manifest negatively in an inability to take positive action, proactively call the credit card company because I'm just so freaked out. I know that I'm behind or whatever, but I'm just, I'm gonna put my head in the sand. And it also results in making poor investment decisions.
1: Right, selling when it's low because you're fearful rather than holding and waiting for the market to recover.
0: So we intellectually, again, I understand intellectually that I'm supposed to buy when things are low and sell when things are high, but anxiety can make me do the opposite.
1: Absolutely. And beyond that, anxiety has been found to be linked to a host of other issues uh, physiologically. Like We know um, there's some preliminary studies that show that anxiety might be the largest carcinogen in our lives, like that if you are living with persistent and sustained anxiety, your chances of cancer go up. And so there's also the host of other things like ulcers and insomnia that we know have a ripple down effect on our physical well-being. There's also research that shows that anxiety will impact our relationships. And so um, especially in family dynamics where anxiety is linked to um, um, conflict in parents, which trickles down to um what's it called? Like restricted parenting ability. Like if you're super anxious, you might be on your phone instead of reading a book to your kids, or you might be snapping at them because you're frustrated or overstimulated by all the other anxiety in your life.
0: I have heard in the past that behind infidelity, financial problems and challenges are one of the primary reasons folks split up in their relationships. Is that true?
1: Yeah. And what's interesting when you mention infidelity is um, there's also a growing body of research around financial infidelity and how that's also linked to divorce and separation or marital distress.
0: Yeah. And, and that certainly makes sense. Anxiety is a carcinogen. That's <laughs> that, not surprising, but at the same time, surprising to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it you know, our hormones are just always around us. But when we're anxious, they are on full blast. And so the impact on the cellular level is dramatic.
0: So just to sort of complete the circle here, when I as a financial professional, when a financial professional can have a deeper understanding of, of how to help clients manage through anxiety that's going to increase potentially um, by 5% the impact of their relationship or the effectiveness of the relationship?
1: Yeah, the commitment and the trust. And beyond that, you you highlighted something I do want to hit on is the idea of um, helping address it. But before that is helping recognize it. In the same study, we found that planners greatly underestimated their clients' financial anxiety. Uh, For example, planners thought, Financial anxiety impacted a little less than half their clients, right around 49%, but nearly three in four clients actually reported having financial anxiety. That means that we're not being good at asking the right questions to sense how bad are they stressing about their finances? And so the more we can recognize that financial anxiety is way too common in all humans, as even our financial clients who might have more means than the normal population, that it may be hiding under their surface and not being shared.
0: So the question to ask is, are you freaking out about your money?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Or maybe how freaked oh, out how are freaked you? Out. About your
1: money? <laughs> I love that.
0: Let me see your nails and your cuticles. Are you chewing these up? what are
1: you said that because in the study I referenced earlier and I wish I remembered all the authors but I tend to remember the first author's name and at all but they found how cold the hand was was a signal to a planner how anxious they were the blood rushed away from them so you really can use the verbals and the nonverbals to assess. <laughs>
0: yeah well certainly we have all of our senses available to us so (laughs) using as many of them as as possible certainly makes sense so in this particular study around 75 percent of of clients reported some kind of anxious anxiety around money
1: right yep it was i think it was exactly 71 but this still dramatic because if you think about it our, our sample skewed higher wealth uh older than the general public and that makes sense because on the American Psychological Association's like, annual survey about stressors, money is almost always the number one topic that is selected.
0: What are some of the, all all kidding aside, some of those questions um, mm-hmm. that I can be asking to better gauge or help my clients better self-assess their level of exactly.
1: anxiety? I, I think it starts with more, less of a question and more of a normalizing, like, anxiety is really, financial anxiety is really common in the US. I just wanted to check on you to see how you're feeling. Are you losing sleep or or are you worrying about your finances between our sessions? Am I doing a good job of making you feel safe that we have a long-term plan established so you don't have to worry about the day-to-day activity of the market or the larger economic landscape because we have our eyes on 10 years or 15 years or 20 years from now. I think those kind of um, Acknowledging, normalizing, and assessing um, can be really powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. Acknowledge, normalize, and what was the last one?
1: Assessing. (laughs)
0: Assessing. Yeah, I don't, uh, if you're too direct with people, you know, uh, need to, uh, to, to approach that. Um, more tactfully, just make people feel comfortable and at ease um, and not anxious. Right. (laughs) And And
1: recognizing that one partner may be very comfortable and one partner might be the anxious person. As a family therapist, I would love for every planner to get to see every couple and for every couple to um, not necessarily be the driver of their finances, but a participant in their finances. And so recognizing that the one partner might be hiding behind the other or presenting anxiety differently than others. You know, we present anxiety differently, especially um, not to break gender down dichotomous, but men tend to externalize their anxiety, meaning present with anger or frustration or aggression when they're anxious. While women uh, in general, again, tend to be a little bit more verbal or um, or um, uh, what's it called? Emotional like presentations of anxiety. So some of those clients who are driving you batty with, like, calling you too much or or getting frustrated with your receptionist or just a host of other activities might actually be anxious rather than uh, just a jerk.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that certainly makes sense. That's <clears throat> And you'd almost, yeah, I think that certainly, and we're going through pretty challenging and 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 unique times with the economy and the markets and everything else that if people weren't a little bit anxious i think it would probably be almost odd
1: symptomatic yeah especially since humans are not meant for ambiguity like there's an old seinfeld joke about um rather be in the coffin rather than presenting in front of it, which is often alluded to the idea of not liking to public speak. But I think it also kind of hints at the fact that like sometimes worrying about something is scarier than the actual bad thing happening. Like we'd much rather pull the bandaid off. And I think since 2020, the bandaid has just been dangling for way too long of like what shoe is going to drop next.
0: What a great what a great metaphor that is. Just a dangling band aid. <laughs> just really reach amazing. up, pull the thing off, for gosh sakes. Let me have a little bit of certainty. No more uh, just consumed by ambiguity. <laughs> I love it. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage?
1: Yes, my LinkedIn profile is Megan McCoy, MFT. I think something like that. Find me there. Um, And also, anybody's welcome to email me anytime. I love chatting, connecting. It's Megan McCoy, just my name, uh, at KSU period edu, which stands for Kansas State.
0: Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Dr. Megan your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to or find Megan on LinkedIn. I'll link that in the notes of the show. Shoot her an email, get in touch. And um, I think that the more we can learn about this kind of research, obviously, the better we're all going to be. about my personal finances and also our interac- interactions with professionals and clients. So I love it. Thanks again, Megan. Thank you. Until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.